Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons podcast. Today's sermon features founding pastor Ken Werlein, and it was recorded on Sunday, May 29th. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love the chance to connect with you, so drop us a line at info at faithbridge.org. If you're in the area, join us this Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi. And you can always join us for Faith Bridge online at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Pastor Ken. All right, let's continue our year-long study of the book of Luke. You can take your Bible or borrow one that the ushers are going to pass out to you. If you need, wave at them. We'll go to Luke chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today. And as you're turning there, I just want to add my word of congratulations, seniors, to each of you. Excited for you, proud of you. For some of you, it's been a joy getting to watch you grow up since you were just little things. And now you're ready to launch, and it's exciting. I, uh, I think um, Chris mentioned it, but now you'll have some challenges. Um, life will get a little more complicated, right? You'll have some responsibilities that come with independent living that you haven't had to deal with. You'll have some emotions, I predict. Sometimes you'll be so excited that you're chewing the paint off the wall. Other times... Maybe a little down, maybe a little glum, maybe a little depressed, maybe a little anxious. Um, And I was just thinking as I was listening to uh, where you all are going and imagining the different schools, I suspect that even those of you that are going to Christian universities, there's going to be some moments along the way that you will probably find yourself wondering Did the Lord really come with me here? Or am I out here on my own? Did the things that I learned at Point Break and Faith Bridge and the road and Curious and all those things, does that only work in 77379 and surrounding zip codes? And if you wonder that, you won't be the first to come along and to wonder, is the Lord really able to work here as well? Because you're going to see in the passage that we're going to look at today, Jesus' disciples were wondering the very same thing. Starting in verse 22 of chapter 8, look what happens. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Stop there. Highlight, if you write in your Bible, highlight other side. That was a loaded term, and we would gloss over it, but we better not gloss over it. We need to double-click and see, what does that mean when he was saying the other side of the lake? I'll show you what it means. Take a look at this map. You'll see on the west side, the left side, you see uh, Galilee in the sort of uh, more white-looking color, Cana, Nazareth. That's where all the good Jewish people lived. Now, go over there to the right side. And you, uh, 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 um, you, you have the Decapolis. It means 10 cities. Jewish people didn't ever go there. That was the other side of the lake. And so the Jews looked upon that as enemy territory. Pagans lived there. Remember what animal, what animal do Jewish people historically and Orthodox uh, despise? You remember what animal? Pigs. Yeah. Guess over in the Decapolis, which 
animal was regarded as the most sacred, even worshipped. Pig, exactly. So when Jesus just casually says, hey guys, let's just go on over to the other side of the lake. They were like, what are you talking about, Jesus? You don't mean over there. <laughs> it's, it's almost like you think every side belongs to you. Which leads us to the first thing I want us to see of three today. If you're a note taker, here's the first one. No matter where you're going, graduates, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord there as well. Now, let's make clear about this. You can go to any number of places where they won't acknowledge Jesus is Lord. Uh, particularly if you're going to a secular university, particularly you'll probably have some classes with some professors who take delight in sort of uh, badgering you about faith, skeptical and, and sort of pushing you. You don't really believe that, that Sunday school stuff, do you? But he's Lord there, even though they don't acknowledge it. I remember when my dad was uh, driving, he and I were driving up to Vanderbilt for, when I was your age and I was fixing to go for my first year of college, feeling all the same feelings you're going to be feeling and excited and scared and wondering, am I really ready for this? And so as we drove along, I remember dad saying, well, why don't we talk about some, what are some of your high point memories from high school? We talked about some of those and then, so what are some of the lessons, the best lessons that you think God's taught you? here in these recent years that you'll take with you. We talked about those. And, and, and he just got, we just had some really good conversations for those two days of, of driving and talked about sort of dreams about the future and all these sorts of things. But dad could tell beneath my confident veneer, there was some fear and trepidation inside of me. And, and as I look back, I realized he was just speaking words of blessing and encouragement to, to, to me as we drove along. Remember him saying something along the lines of, you know, son, even though we're driving all this way, you're going to be going to school out of state. I have every confidence you're going to get there and you're going to meet a friend or two who love the Lord like you do. And you all go find a church and you'll get plugged into a church and get yourself in a Bible study group and you'll have some other Christian friends. And, and that's going to be real important for you as you go through uh, college. And I think what you're going to find is that the same Lord who's been master of your life and watched over you and your growing up years in Houston is Lord over there as well. He's Lord here, there, and everywhere. Well, Jesus' disciples, they weren't so sure about that. See, their suspicions only heightened as they push out in that boat ride across the lake. No sooner do they get going along, those cool winds that come over the top of the Galan Heights, that's about 2,000 feet elevation, they come barreling down those, those cliffs into the bowl that's the Sea of Galilee, 600 feet below sea level. So you, you have a lot of wind that's coming down and that moisture, that warm air hits it. These storms can come up on the Sea of Galilee, violent storms. And, and that's all of a sudden what the disciples find themselves in. 
And they're going along, and, and, and don't you know, they're thinking to themselves, Jesus, I told you we shouldn't be going to the other side. This is a sign we shouldn't be going from the other side. And then they realize Jesus is sound asleep. So then they're saying, Jesus, wake up. You've got to save us. We're going to die out here and drown. Um, Rembrandt painted this about 500 years ago, and I, and I like the, the, the painting that he did because um, it, it sort of captures at least his concept of what that must have looked like. And the interesting thing is, if, if you can zoom in uh, a, a little bit, do, do you see the, the one in the turquoise sort of looking at us? If you count up, you'll see Jesus over there to the right and the other 12 disciples. But there's 14 people. Rembrandt painted himself into the scene as if to say, how would I be doing in this situation well Jesus he wakes up and he speaks to the waves and the wind says peace be still everything grows still and the way I read it he just goes right back and lies back down and goes to sleep and meanwhile (laughs) the rest of them are like who is this guy he even speaks to the weather and the waves and the wind die down at his command graduates I think that's a good thing for you to remember. No matter where you're headed, you won't be going anywhere that Jesus isn't Lord. Here, there, and everywhere, he is Lord. Now, finally, they get to the other side. uh, And so uh, Mark calls it the Gadarenes, and Luke calls it the Gerasenes. There's a little conflict, but theologians generally... I think it's about like that. So we'll just say it's in that general region that they get to the other side. Now, they know this is going to be a different experience these disciples do. Uh, because wherever they've gone heretofore, there's crowds, huge crowds, thousands of people who would come for Jesus. They get to the other side. There's no crowds. There's one person. And he is a mess. Let's look. Verse 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. That, you know, is going to be an interesting day. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. And he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went to the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Which leads to the second thing, graduates, that I, I, I think we need to see from this text. You might want to think twice about taking potluck for your roommate. No, not really. That's, a, <laughs> that's definitely not really the second thing. All right, the second thing. Jesus, Jesus had to deal with evil. And so will you. 
Jesus had to deal with it, and so will you. Luke is profiling this man here who had opened himself up to the powers of sin and evil. But instead of repenting, confessing his sin, and sealing up the windows, he kept the windows wide open to spiritual darkness and more evil and more sin, just give birth to more and more until finally he's in bondage to hell's worst demons. And subsequently he's a mess. Look at him and he's running around naked and he says he's living in the tombs and he's breaking the chains off that they'd bind him with. And Gospel of Mark adds that he would howl and shriek and slash himself with rocks and bleed and Now he comes shrieking and howling straight towards Jesus and the disciples. And you know why we don't read anything about the disciples in this scene? (laughs) I think it's because they're probably huddled up in the back of that boat (laughs) with their eyes bugging out and gape jaw. They're like, we'll let you handle this one, Jesus. (laughs) See, Jesus, he gets out of the boat and he walks toward this man. And he says, what's your name? And the man says, Legion. That's a military term. It meant between two and six thousand, two thousand and six thousand troops. That's a lot of soldiers. What he's saying here is, there's many of me. There's so many I don't know who I am. I'm a riot in the street of my own soul. But the demons inside of them, <laughs> oh, they all knew who Jesus was and that's why they were responding so actively they knew that their combined powers would be no match for jesus i've never been possessed by a demon i suppose you haven't either it does happen i've got several preacher friends who even recently been tell me about some situations in their church so if you feel one coming on, I'll give you their number. No, not really. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but I can think of a few times I have felt like there were not thousands, but several me's. Sometimes after I've gotten tired and fatigued and irritated and I'll snap at one of the boys or at Suzanne and I'll say something sort of cutting go off to my study about 30 or 60 minutes later I I calm down I start I come to my right mind and I was like why did you say that that's not the right way to do that and it, that's not who you are but in that moment it was who I was Sometimes I feel like there's several of me. You ever felt like, I, I, I was talking to a, to a young uh, man not very long ago who, who told me it started with a little bit of porn. He said, and, and then I started getting inquisitive and wanting to see more and more and more. He said, now the problem is I can't get through a day, not one day without time in porn, but I'm not really a dirty guy, except when I am. In other words, he was saying, there's there's several of me. That's how sin works. It 
works that way with pride. It works that way with greed. It works that way. It works that way no matter which strand of sin you want to talk about. That's how sin and evil work. You give it an inch, it will take a mile. You crack the door open, it'll barge right through the middle. It, sort of like the other day, I was going to an appointment and I uh, wheeled up. It was a hot day and there, I was in an asphalt parking lot and I stepped right down onto a wad of bubble gum that somebody had just spat there. And I get out and I realize <laughs> I picked up something I didn't want. And so I meet the guy, and, and, and so we're talking, and, and I'm trying to act like this is really no big deal, and, but it kind of was, and, and he could see it, and I could see it, and finally I said, you know what, uh, when we got inside, I said, do you have a knife in your break room that I could borrow? He said, yeah, let me get He went and got me a little plastic knife. I take my shoe off, and I'm having to cut that, that stuff off the bottom and into cracks and the little grooves and digging it out while we're trying to have a conversation, and... <clears throat> But, you know, I was, I was thinking about how real it is that in the same way, I had to cut that gum out. Men and women, you and I, we have to cut the sin out from our souls. Because if you let it there, it's like cancer. It just gums on more and more and more. Jesus, he had to face evil head on and so will you now here's the reality you're going to have more temptations than you've ever had because you're going to have less restrictions than you've ever had you therefore will be more vulnerable than you've ever been and so I think of that verse that Peter wrote watch out be alert of sober mind because your enemy the devil roams around like a prowling lion seeking whom he can devour. He's always been about stealing and killing and destroying and he would love to do it in your life if you're not careful. Need proof? Just look at Uvalde. I'm sure that as you were watching all of that this past week as I was watching in disbelief, your mind was probably thinking what my mind was thinking. How? How could one man let such unspeakable evil fill his heart and his mind and his soul? I'll tell you how. In a word. Gradually. That's how. A.W. Tozer said, no man becomes base suddenly. In other words, you're not an angel one day and then suddenly the next day you're a demon. No, 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 no. The evil we watched on Tuesday was not the working of the devil in 24 hours. No, that was the working inside a man's heart who had not sealed up the windows in his soul way back. That was weeks and months and I suppose years of darkness that he just continued to let grow inside of him. You just give it a little, it'll take everything. That's how sin works. It never seems too bad on the front in fact, it seems kind of fun, pleasurable. But friends, sin will always take you farther than you ever plan to go. It'll always keep you longer than you ever plan to stay. And it'll always cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. So watch out as you go.
cut it out. Don't let the sin linger. I hope the first thing that you all will do when you get to your places is what my dad suggested I do. Go, go get a Christian friend or two. Find somebody who loves the Lord. And you want to go to church? Yeah, let's go scout them out and find a good church after a few weeks and get plugged in and get a Bible study and this sort of thing. Because I'm telling you, what the devil would love to do is get you singled out. Because if he can get you singled out, he'll get you picked off. I've watched it happen too many times. Jesus had to face the evil and so will you. The demons, they knew. <laughs> they knew something's going to happen to us because we're facing Jesus. So they do this interesting thing. They start to negotiate with Jesus. And, and they say, Jesus, we know that you're going to send us out of this, man, but don't send us anything, anywhere, but don't send us into the abyss. That was everlasting punishment. I, we don't want to go there because demons need a host to ride around in. And, and so they say, how, how about those pigs? Why did you cast us into those pigs? Now, Jesus, interestingly, says, okay, you can go to the pigs. I'm going to come back and talk about that in just a minute. But first, I, just picture this scene. One minute, you've got a crazed, shrieking man running towards Jesus with thousands of demons inside of him. And the next man, the next moment, you see all those demons transferred into the pigs, and they go running off the cliff and plunge to their peril and die by drowning. It's, it's, all those thundering pigs are gone. Imagine having to be the, the pig herder that goes back to his boss that evening and the boss says, where's all the pigs? And he says, it's really a weird day. They all committed suicide. It was, it was a mass suicide. But can I have my last paycheck? But, you know, it's a... Now, some say when they uh, come to this story, they're like, I don't like this because it feels sad. And Jesus let all those little piggies go plummeting to their death. And no, no, you have to understand Something, there's something more. These aren't little cute pig, pink piggies. These, these are nasty old hogs. And, and I want you to see spiritually, there's three things that were happening here. And this is the brilliance of Jesus. He's knocking out three birds with one stone, proverbially speaking. Whap, whap, whap. Look at this. First thing, remember what animal on the other side did they deify? The pig. This is a spiritual showdown that's happening. Sort of like in uh, Old Testament where you read about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And all of a sudden, God's side wins. That's exactly what's happening here. And anybody in that day would have said, whew. So he's more You got 2,000 pigs. You got Jesus. Wham! That's the first thing that's happening. Second thing that's happening. For anybody who's confused... Are 2,000 pigs worth more than one soul? Jesus is saying, nope. One soul matters more than 2,000 pigs. The soul of a person is worth everything to me, Jesus was saying. And then the third thing, he understood psychology. He knew tomorrow morning you're going to wake up and you're going to wonder, was that just a dream? Do I still have these demons? Are they still in me? How do I know if they really left? Worry no more, sir. There, off that cliff, went your demons. You're free. Don't ever look back. It's brilliant. 
what Jesus was doing. And you would think at this point that all of the, the people in the village would have come running out and say, okay, why don't you heal our, and our... That's not what they do. Let's look at what happens. Verse 34, when those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they come to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave because they were so overcome with fear. So he got in the boat and he left. <laughs> they missed all the power of what was going on here. But understandably, they were probably worried, you know, if he comes to my farm, heaven knows what's going to happen. And so, you know, I, would you mind leaving? And Jesus says, yes. I'll leave because his mission for this trip to the other side had been accomplished. Now, here's what's interesting. Look at verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged to go with him. Picture this. The man's sitting on the shore. The disciples and Jesus are in the boat. They're pushing back. He's like, I I'd really like to go with you. You've changed my life. You've saved me. Could I go along? I see some room in the boat. Jesus is like, no. Now, this is odd because heretofore, Jesus always says, come, follow me on the other side. But now that he's on this other side, he's like, no. He says, I want you to stay. Look at what he says in, in 38b. Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So, that the, so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus said, in this instance, I want you to follow me, but I don't want you to literally come follow me. I need a witness over on, on this other side. And I want you to be that person. And so the boat sails away. The man is looking at them, waving. I sort of pictured myself feeling a little bit like the afternoon when I was all settled into my dorm room and, and I watched as my dad drove away. And I remember thinking, gulp, here I am. I kind of had to shake it off and I better get out there and start meeting some people. And, and that's what this man does concluding if Jesus saved my life and he just told me to stay here and tell other people I'm going to go do it and don't you know those conversations were interesting when he went into the village and he said hey remember me notice anything different like everything you know and 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 at that point he'd have said this guy from the far side named Jesus he came you want to hear the rest of the story what I want you to realize graduates is your story has power. Your story has power. If you'll just tell other people what Jesus has done in your life. Sometimes right about here, people are like, yeah, you know, I would, but I don't have an exciting testimony. I mean, I don't have any demons or anything. I know. I don't either. But if Jesus is Savior of your life and Lord of your life, then what you have to realize is the story isn't really about you. 
It's about him. It's about our great God who loved us enough to send his only son, our Lord Jesus, into this world to live the life of sinlessness that none of us could live so that he could die the death of punishment that all of us deserved, so that on the third day he could conquer the grave that none of us could conquer, so that by the power of his spirit he could come and live inside of us and give us hope. And that leads to the third and the final thing that I want us to see today in the text. People need the hope that you've found in Christ. They need that hope. So, question. Do you think this man went out and did what Jesus asked him to do? Do you think he went out and told some other people? The answer is yes. And here's how we know. In Mark chapter 6, not in Luke, but in Mark, we find that Jesus would go back He'd go back to the other side. He'd go back to the Decapolis again. We don't know how much later it was. Maybe it was weeks, maybe it was months, maybe it was a year, but sometime he went back. The first time, how many people were there to greet him when he went? One. The next time, great crowds, it says, came to see him bringing their lame and their crippled and their sick and their blind to heal. And in fact, one day there's so many, he had to feed them all. That was the feeding of the 4,000. Not the feeding of the 5,000. That happened on the Jewish side. But the feeding of the 4,000 happened the next time he went to the other side. Now, how did all those thousands know to show up when Jesus came back. Best we can tell. The whole chain of dominoes got started with one man. This man. His life was changed by Jesus and he obviously went out and told some people. And the ripple effects of that were very, very significant. Because, friends, changed lives change lives. Changed lives change lives. You show me somebody who's been changed by Christ, and then let's just watch. And they'll have a ripple effect on the other people that they meet along the way. Graduates, you've grown up in a great church. You've heard the gospel every week around here. You've been on road mission trips. You've been in curious Bible studies. You've gone to point break. And if you've put your trust in Jesus, what I want you to realize is that people need the hope that you have through Jesus Christ. No matter where you're headed, there's someone. There's someone who needs the hope that you found in Jesus Christ. And so I want you to go with the mission of letting your life make a difference in the lives of others for Jesus' sake. That's what Jim did. Jim was a guy that I met my freshman year. He was two years older uh, than I, and winsome guy, confident, upbeat, athletic. He would go on upon graduating, he would go on to fly jets for 10 years for the Navy. Guess which film inspired that 
the first Top Gun with Tom Cruise. That was the era that we're dealing with. But, but while we were still in college, he, he was a junior and we were fresh, and I was a freshman, and that's, that's when we met. And uh, I ended up pledging the fraternity that he was a, a part of. And, and sometime later, he, he said, hey, Ken, you know what? I'm starting a Bible study group with several of the guys in your class. And would you like to be in it? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So we met in this dorm room, and, and, and every week, all he would do is he was just going and making a photocopy of some Bible study book he'd gotten that had some questions and then a little blank with some verses that you look up and you write in the answer. And he'd give us our little things, and we'd fill out our little things, and then we'd sit in the circle, and seven or eight of us would, would talk through the lesson every week. And I remember one day, he, the lesson was on spiritual gifts. And we were learning how everybody has a spiritual gift. If you've trusted in Christ, you have a gift. Maybe it's hospitality. Maybe it's administration. Maybe it's preaching or teaching or leadership. Or, there's all these different gifts. He said, so do you know what your gifts are? And we're like, oh, I don't know. So we start figuring out what our gifts are and a little inventory. And, and he says, now, this summer, we need to be using our gifts. All of us need to use our gifts. To, to, to expand the kingdom of God. Where are you working this summer? I don't have a job. I don't have a job. He used to me, I don't have a job. He's like, oh my gosh, y'all are pathetic. Let's get down on our knees. And so we get down on our knees and we're praying, Lord, give us a summer job because we need to use our spiritual gifts. Who knew? And, and so <laughs> please, God, give us a place to use our spiritual gifts. And, and as sure as I am kneeling here in front of you, a night or two later, the phone rings and it's a youth pastor called Tom that I only knew superficially. We didn't know each other very well. Calling from a church in Houston. He says, Ken, you've been on my mind a lot lately. He said, do, do, you, do you have a summer job? I said, I don't have no summer job. And he said, well, would you like to come and be an intern? Uh, my youth ministry needs a, a summer intern. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. I was just in the Bible study and we learned what spiritual gifts and then we prayed and then you called. I think I'm supposed to do it. I said, yeah, I'll come and I'll be your intern. I went to that church, and it was the most amazing summer. And several of the kids trusted in Christ and got excited about Bible study. And, and I remember it was the last week of the summer. And I was walking to my car one evening, and I, and I just thought, this has been the best summer of my life. I've loved it. And it was right then I felt the still small voice of the Holy Spirit say to my spirit, this is it. This is what I made you to do. I thought I was majoring in communications to go into TV and radio news. But what the Lord was telling me is, no, I want you to go into good news. Well, I obviously changed the trajectory of my life after that summer and would go into seminary and go into ministry. And about a decade after that experience, I felt like the same small still voice of the Holy Spirit said I want you to start a new church in Northwest Houston and a couple dozen years later here we are thousands of us in that once new church now think about that one guy named Jim invited me would you like to give me a bible study we come to the bible study we learn about spiritual gifts the phone call comes i like i guess i should do it i go and i become an intern god changes my life calls me into ministry i become something different i'd never imagined that i would become i start a church and here we all are and you never knew you're here 
because of Jim. <laughs> now, the reason I tell you that, men and women, your life can have an impact for Jesus. If you'll just give yourself to him and say like Jim said, use me, Lord. Help me to be an impact on some other guys. I would in turn do that. And hopefully the people that I did that do, do that. And now it's your turn to go and to let your light shine. Give yourself to him fully. And I'm telling you, it will make a difference and you'll never look back to regret it. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for each of these uh, graduates, for the chance to talk about your word, for the way that you took one person's life and changed the whole other side of the Sea of Galilee. Lord, now wouldn't you take each of our lives and use each of us to be a ripple that would have an impact for your sake, Jesus, on those that we meet, that we might have an answer as to the hope that we have, that it would be a resounding clarion call to follow Jesus. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus here before, I invite you even right now, why don't you just pray, Jesus, would you come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, cleanse me of unrighteousness, fill me full of your spirit that I might learn how to walk in your ways, ways that lead to life eternal and ways that are fulfilling and exciting and beneficial for your kingdom's expansion. Won't you use me, Lord? And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.